Sea uh, some two and a half thousand years ago, and uh, we've been learning lessons, uh, lessons which are uh, bang up to date and uh, relevant for us as we play our small part in the building of the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ in this 21st century AD, uh, these two and a half thousand years later. We've been working through Nehemiah chapter by chapter and we uh, come uh, tonight to this uh, seventh chapter. And so the question is, what do you do with a chapter like Nehemiah 7? It is largely a list of names. I asked Gordon to read the opening verses of the chapter and the closing verses of the chapter. But in between the opening verses and the closing verses, we have a long, long, long list of names. Well, we could have read the whole chapter. That wouldn't have been a bad thing to do. In many ways, that would have been a a good thing to do. But we didn't do it for at least two reasons. First of all, I thought it was hardly fair on Gordon to ask him to read that great long list of names. And secondly, I thought at least some of you might feel shortchanged if you only got a ten-minute sermon, uh, because that would be all the time that was left uh, for the preaching if we'd read uh, the whole uh, chapter. But what do we do with a chapter like Nehemiah 7? Well, by way of introduction, I just want to survey the whole. But then, uh, for the rest of our time together, I want to zoom in on something uh, very specific. So just surveying the whole, we see this list of names. In one sense, we haven't set a very good example tonight. Because I've said before, and I'm going to say again now, that when you get to these lists of names in your daily reading through the Scriptures, you shouldn't just... Skip them. You know, a hop, a skip, and a jump, and move on. You should, you should read them. I mean, after all, if your name was in the middle of this list, you'd have been quite cross that we hadn't read it out tonight. So, it's good to read these lists of names. And the only reason we didn't do it tonight was the time issue. But we, we have this list of names. And it highlights for us at least two things. The first is that the work of God in any place and at any time is always far bigger than any single individual. This book that we're working our way through bears the name of of Nehemiah. And we've spent a a lot of time over recent weeks uh, thinking about uh, this man, thinking about the life that he lived and and the role uh, that he played. And we know that Nehemiah was key to all that has happened thus far in the narrative of the early chapters of this book. We know that Nehemiah had a very strategic role to play. We know that humanly speaking, if it wasn't for Nehemiah, then none of what we've been thinking about over recent weeks would ever have happened. But Nehemiah would be the first to say, That it wasn't just him. It wasn't just his story. It wasn't just him who was busy uh, rebuilding the walls. Yes, in many ways under God, he was masterminding the whole thing. But many, many others were involved. 
We had a list of names back in chapter 3 of those who were side by side in uh, the rebuilding effort. We have this further list of names in chapter 7 of those who had returned from the exile and who were uh, dwelling in Jerusalem and who were part and parcel of what had been happening and what would uh, yet happen. And it reminds us that though Nehemiah was central to the plan and purpose of God in this place at this time, there were many, many, many others who loved the Lord and were seeking to be useful in his service. And it's important that we remember that. It's important that we remember that when we survey the annals of church history and when we hear about God's dealings in the past. Uh, the biographies, for example, that we read tend to focus on specific individuals, men or women who were key, who were strategic, whom the Lord used in a special way, and we're thankful for that. But we mustn't forget that there were lots of others whose names we don't know, with whose stories we are unfamiliar. But the Lord was using them all together uh, to his glory. And we can apply it to ourselves as part and parcel of a, a local church seeking to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in our place and in our time. There may be those whose names are very publicly associated with this church. There may be those whose service is, is very obvious. There may be others whose names are little known beyond these four walls. There may be others whose service for the Lord is largely behind the scenes and unseen and, and unnoticed. But the Lord sees and the Lord knows and he misses nothing. But a second thing by way of introduction that we can see from this great long list of names it's the flip side of what we've been saying, really, is that God's people in any given place and at any given time are simply the sum of the individuals who are part and part of part and parcel of God's people in that place and in uh, that time. And so it was important in Nehemiah's day that each one uh, gave themselves to the work, that each one played their part, that each one fulfilled their task. And it is important for each and every one of us to maintain our walk with the Lord and to walk faithfully with one another and to do what we can. The Lord doesn't expect us to do what we can't, but to do what we can to help the work of God in the place where he has put us. There's always a danger that we think of the church as other people. We think of the church as an institution, perhaps, or we think of the church in terms of the, the church offices, or we think of the church in terms of the activities, or when we think about the church, we, we think of other people. But if we're members of a local church, then the church is not them, the church is us. The church has a right sense in which the church, we can each say the church is not them, the church is, is me. We're not to look at others and, and blame others, but we're to look at ourselves and 
to seek to be the individuals that the Lord would have us to be ourselves. That we might not just, so to speak, be names in a list, but that we might play our part in the work of the gospel to the glory of Jesus Christ in the place where he has put us. But what I want to do in the rest of our time together this evening with the Lord's help is to focus in on a particular individual who's mentioned in this chapter. Really as an example of of how the Lord uses individuals and the difference an individual can make. I have to confess that until reading and studying this chapter and preparing for the message tonight, I'd not really paid much attention to this character. But they struck me this week, and I, I couldn't get away from them, and I kept coming back to them, and, and they were a blessing to me, and so I hope that they'll be a blessing to you too. And speaking of Hananiah, of whom we read in verse 2, particularly in the second half of the verse, Nehemiah writes in chapter 7 and verse 2 that he gave the charge of Jerusalem to his brother Hanani and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. Hananiah, what a wonderful description! He was a faithful man and feared God more than many. Wouldn't you like that on your tombstone? Christian brother, Christian sister, he, she, was a faithful man, was a faithful woman, and feared God more than many. Hananiah. We find this name about half a dozen times in the course of the book of Nehemiah. And it's clear from those references that there was more than one individual named by Nehemiah who was called Hananiah. We're not really told details about uh, these characters, other than this Hananiah here, who was the leader of the citadel, whatever precisely that means, and he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. There are these two ideas here, that he was faithful, he was a faithful man, and that he feared uh, the Lord, that he feared God more than many. Now we might say, well, did he fear God because he was a faithful man, or was he a faithful man because he feared God? And the answer, in a sense, is both. Because these things are like two sides of one coin. A faithful individual is one who fears the Lord. And someone who fears the Lord is an individual who is faithful. We're going to be laying the emphasis on fearing the Lord tonight, but just a word on Hananiah as a a faithful man. Just thinking about that very simply. To be faithful is to be full of faith. A faithful man, a faithful woman, a faithful young person, a faithful boy, a faithful girl, is someone who is Full of faith, which means at least three things, that they have faith, number one, that they exercise faith, number two, and that they persevere in the exercise of faith, number three. 
to have faith, to have saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be trusting in Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, all that he is, all that he has done. That's where being a faithful individual begins. Have you begun there, my friend, tonight? However old you are, however young you are, whatever you are in between, have you begun there by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord? Do you have faith, saving faith in him? But then to, to exercise faith. But this I mean not just to trust in Christ at conversion, at the beginning of the Christian life, but to live your life trusting in the Lord, in conscious and wholehearted dependence upon him and desiring to do his will, whatever the consequences. To exercise faith and to trust the Lord even when you do not understand what he is doing in your life. The exercise of faith. But also to persevere in the exercise of faith. To be the kind of person who doesn't just trust in the beginning or trust for a time, but goes on trusting. Trust the Lord in good weather and in bad, if I can put it that way. Uphill and down dale in every situation and circumstance of life. Faithful. In loving God, faithful in serving God, faithful in trusting God in every situation and circumstance of life. Hananiah was a faithful man. And oh, that we might all be helped to be faithful individuals. But as a faithful man, we are told that he feared God more than many. He feared God more than many. And uh, that's striking. It implies that there were, there were many who feared God. And we know there were. We know from earlier chapters in Nehemiah. We know from uh, the chapter before us tonight that there were, there were many others who feared God. But Hananiah is singled out here. For this special mention that he feared God more than many. There was something about Hananiah that stood out. Something that was outstanding about this man. And it was that he feared God more than many. And I put it to you that this should be an ambition for each and every one of us as the Lord's people. We cannot be Christians if we do not uh, truly fear the Lord. But all oh, that we might be helped not just to be those who fear the Lord as, as many of God's people do. But all by God's grace for it must be that way and all to God's glory for it should be that way. Or that we might be helped to be individuals who fear God more than many. Not in a proud way, in a way of conceited way or a self-righteous manner. But that by God's grace and to his glory, we might be helped to fear God more than many. So our theme tonight is fearing the Lord. 
and uh, three things. First of all, we're thinking about the fear of the Lord as a chilling fear. A chilling fear. Because that's where the fear of the Lord starts. It's not where the fear of the Lord stops. But it's where the fear of the Lord starts. The fear of the Lord being a a chilling fear. This is the fear of the Lord that we, we have by nature. As those who are sinful, fallen human beings. As those who, whether we acknowledge it or whether we refuse to acknowledge it, as those who are created by God, as those who owe everything to God, as those who are accountable to God, and yet as those who are living in rebellion against God, deep down we know that there is a God in heaven. And that we do not know this God as we ought to know him. And we do not love this God as we ought to love him. And we have not obeyed this God as we should have obeyed him. And we are not living for this God as we should be living for him. And so there is this fear of the Lord which sends a chill down our spine. That there is a holy, almighty and eternal God in heaven. And that he is angry with us on account of our sin. The fear of the Lord. It begins as a chilling fear. I ask you, have you ever taken that seriously? That you have offended almighty God. That he is rightly angry with you on account of your selfish thinking and your selfish living. That though he has blessed you with so many good things, yet you have never really acknowledged him. You are living Whatever you may or may not profess to believe, you are living to all intents and purposes as if he does not exist. Going your own way, doing your own thing, living life as you want to live it. And when the Lord begins to awaken us, to the reality of these things. The fear of the Lord, to begin with, I say it's a chilling thing. Sends a shiver down our spine. Makes us anxious. And left here, it would, it would make us run from God. And seek to hide from him. But I say this is where the fear of the Lord begins. But it's not where it ends and it's not where we're laying the emphasis tonight. Because having seen briefly that the fear of the Lord is a chilling fear, we want to come on secondly to see that the fear of the Lord is a warming fear. Yes, to begin with it sends a chill down our spine, but then it spreads a warmth 
in our hearts. When we're given to hear the gospel and to understand something of the good news of Jesus Christ and to feel, yes, that chilling fear that all we deserve from God is his righteous judgment, but that this God who has every right to be against us is for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has sent his son into the world. And in the person of his son, he has lived and died and uh, risen again. That by living, he might give to us the righteousness we don't have. That by dying, he might take from us our sin and remove it from us once and for all. And that by rising from the dead, he may seal the deal. And be able to give eternal life to each and every one who trusts in him. And when we begin to understand that. And it begins to sink in. And we begin to appreciate it. And we're given grace to turn from our sin in repentance. And to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. And to see just how gracious and merciful and compassionate and pitiful and kind. This God whom we have offended is. All that he has done for us in Jesus Christ. So that we have to do nothing because we can't do anything. And all we do is come and trust in Jesus Christ and what he has done, his finished work. Then still we fear the Lord. But we fear the Lord in a very different way. No longer is it a dreadful fear. A fear that is full of dread at this God against whom we have sinned and whom we have offended. But it is rather a delightful fear. A fear full of delight. This God who has loved us and whom we love in return. This God who has lavished his grace and his mercy upon us. This God who has made us profoundly thankful for his son and for all that he has done for us in Jesus Christ and for his spirit and for the work that his Holy Spirit has done in our hearts and in our lives. We delight in this God and we still fear him but not with the kind of fear that is afraid of him and that dreads him but with the kind of fear that delights in him. And that revels in his grace and in his mercy and in his love. And so we want to please him. Not because we are afraid of the consequences if we don't. But we want to please him. Because he has loved us so much. And because we love him so much. And we desire to please him in all that we are and in all that we do. And this is a warming fear. It warms our hearts. It stirs our affections. It leads us closer and closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it motivates our Christian living and our Christian service. Because we delight in this God and we desire to please him with every fibre of our being. A warming fear. But we need to feel that chilling fear. 
But we need also to feel that warming fear. There are a couple of dangers I just want to touch on briefly. The one is that those who should feel the chilling fear don't. And the other is that those who shouldn't feel the chilling fear do. The first danger, that those who should fear, should feel the chilling fear don't. If you're here tonight and you're not yet saved, and you're not afraid of this God against whom you have sinned and has the power to usher you into eternity tonight and to carry you off to hell, you need to feel the chill of this fear. But if you are a Christian here tonight and you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Lord does not desire that you live your Christian life in a craven fear, afraid of this God who has loved you from eternity, afraid of this God who has given you salvation in his Son, afraid of this God who has promised you heaven in the world to come. And you say, but I'm not the Christian that I ought to be. Friend, none of us is. And you say, I've let the Lord down so many times. Friend, all of us have. And you say, I look back on my Christian life and I feel I haven't made the progress that I should have done. Friend, none of us have. But you weren't saved by your own efforts. And you're not kept by your own efforts. And yes, we must trust Christ. And yes, we must seek to obey him. But we will not flourish and thrive as the people of God if we are living afraid of the frown of the Almighty when his smile is upon us in the Lord Jesus Christ. A warming fear, a fear of delight that we would live for this God because he has loved us And lavished his mercy upon us. So we've thought about the fear of the Lord as a chilling fear. And we've thought about the fear of the Lord as a warming fear. But thirdly, just want to touch on this. The fear of the Lord as a shining fear. As a shining fear. That's what I'm taking from Hananiah here. Yes, there were others who feared the Lord. They, they had experienced this chilling fear and, and they had experienced this warming fear. But Hananiah, he feared God more than many. His fear was a shining fear. It was a fear that Nehemiah and others couldn't help but recognize and uh, which made a deep impression upon them and how we should desire that kind of fear of the Lord not in a proud sense not in terms of some as if to make the Christian life or church life into some game of of one-upmanship but desiring that we might so fear the Lord so want to know him better so want to love him more So want to serve him faithfully. So want to shine for him. 
that it might be said of me, that it might be said of you, that it might be said of us, that we feared God more than many. It's easy, isn't it, as Christians or as churches to stand out for the wrong reasons. Or we've all done it at times. Drawn people's attention to ourselves for for the wrong reasons. People have looked perhaps and they have shaken their heads. But all that we might capture people's attention, not for the wrong reasons, but for the right reasons. Because we might have this shining fear of the Lord, this deep delight in him, this profound devotion to our Saviour. That others would not be able to fail to notice it. But that we might notice it in one another. And that a lost and a perishing world in which we live might notice it too. That they might know that we have been with Jesus. Because ultimately the desire is not that we draw attention to ourselves. But that we be so taken up with the Lord Jesus Christ. That as people see there's something different about us. That they look through us. And beyond us. To him. That they don't just notice that we are those. Who fear the Lord. And who are devoted to him. And whose light shines through us but that they come to fear the Lord themselves, to be devoted to him as well, and to know his light shining in their hearts and setting their souls ablaze. Hananiah feared God more than many. I put it to you, That that is a good ambition for any of us, for all of us, this week and uh, every week. Lord, help me to be faithful, to fear you, and to do so more than many. Amen.